facetious. That, you, you know that, right? I'm not promoting the use of bumper stickers, but if you want to get one, you go right ahead. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning, is bumper stickers, as good as they might be. We're going to talk about uh, a continuing message series about our blueprint for God's design for a healthy church member. What does a healthy church member look like according to God's design? To take a step back from what we might think of church, or what we might think of church people doing, or we might see as church um, on Sunday in a, in a lot of places that we've grown up in. And we're going to look at what church membership means to us as individuals and to us as a called-out group of people, the ecclesia, the church. We continue looking at that this morning. So pray with me and we'll get started. Father, I pray that this morning you really put a burden for us are on us for your church. I pray that we would desire to love your church more and more because we know Jesus loves it more and more. Talk to us now. Speak to us, Father. That's why we're here. That's what we've come for. Speak to us through your word and through your servant. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last couple of weeks, we've been kind of carrying some foundational ideas into this week. Remember, we started off talking about what is the church in general. And we talked about this thing called the universal church, that the moment one professes faith becomes part of this universal body of believers, not just who we see here. It's a local assembly, a local version of that, but the universal, invisible church of Jesus Christ made up of all who have ever believed since the church began. Jesus is the head of that church. Let's not forget, Jesus runs this organism. I, I hesitate to say organization because it's a body. Paul gives us that analogy over and over again in Scripture. The church is like a body. It's like a living organism that we're all a part of. Jesus is the head of it. And don't forget that Jesus died for his church. He lives for his church to intercede for us. Jesus loves his church as one would lo- as a husband would love his wife, as a, as a husband who waits for the bride to come down the aisle. And at the end of time, he's waiting for us as his bride, that he will present to God spotless and without wrinkle, transformed and prepared to spend eternity with God. That's the head of our church. And we also said that the entrance criteria for this church is not by walking down an aisle and not by signing a piece of paper and not by committing to a covenant with a local assembly. We're going to talk about those things in the coming weeks because those are important, but that's not how we get into the church. The gospel is the heartbeat of the church. Sinners, dead in sin, made alive by God. Those without hope now are forgiven and are loved as members of God's own family. That's the gospel, and that's what every one of us have in common. If that has not happened to you yet, you are not a member of the church, no matter which one you decide to join here on this earth. So we're looking at what is a healthy church member. We're kind of still in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to walk through that just a little bit again. We're going to have a couple of different passages this morning, but we're kind of still launching out of Acts chapter 2. 
You know, we have a lot of organizations and a lot of uh, great momentum and a lot of initiatives and a lot of vision out there in the church world today where we're talking about the Acts 2 church, or maybe it's the Acts 29 church, uh, or maybe it's, it's a, a church that's going back to the basic roots of what it meant to be involved with people who followed Jesus. And we, talk, we looked at those folks a little bit last week. And I, I encourage you, by the way, if you've missed any of these messages about what a healthy church member is, they're online. Please go back and listen to them because they build on each other. And, and you want to have the, the whole counsel of God, so to speak, and not just catch pieces of it. In the early church, remember, they had this great uh, uh, gathering, 120 folks in the upper room kind of wondering what's going to happen now that Jesus is gone. He's died. He was resurrected. We saw him. We touched him, and now he's left us. And they're wondering what happens. And then this great, uh, um, amazing moment happens where the Holy Spirit falls on people. And they start talking these great things about God. And they're not even talking in their own language. And people are hearing them because they're in, in town for the Passover. All these Jewish folks from all over the world are hearing these, these people, these disciples of Jesus speaking about the great acts of God. And they all said, what does this mean? You know, as, as they hear all this going on, and maybe these guys are drunk. Maybe they've been partying too hard. They've got a bad hangover, and they're just babbling stuff out there. And remember, Peter gets up, and he starts giving this great message, because he says, no, that's not what you're hearing. And so, so he goes on to this, this, this dissertation, this first sermon that I read a little bit to you about in our offering time, or our prayer time. And we remember that the Acts 2 church did not know they were an Acts 2 church. Right? They didn't know that they were doing this as an Acts 2. We get the benefit of seeing what they did. So we, we talked a little bit last week, and we're going to carry it forward this week. What was their brand? What was their label? There was no such thing as a denomination in A.D. 35. So what did they call themselves? Well, they called themselves followers of Christ, the way. Their label, their brand, their trademark was Jesus and Jesus alone. And they had one message, one message that they had. And it wasn't world peace, and it wasn't solving world hunger. It was Jesus saves sinners. That was it. And so Peter, in the very first church, gets up there and he gives this gospel message in Acts chapter 2. We see in verse 12, as these people stood around and wondered what was going on, they all wondered to one another, what does this mean? And Peter gets up there in verse 14, taking his stand with the eleven. He raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Jerusalem and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose. He says in verse 16, This is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And he talks about what they're seeing, that God is fulfilling prophecy. He is giving them uh, an expository sermon on the Bible. He's telling them what God has to say, and he's fulfilling the promises that he prophesied so long ago. And he talks about the gospel. He talks about Jesus being died and born again. And he goes to verse 36, so died and, and raised again, I'm sorry. And he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That was the end of his gospel message. Look at their response. They heard this. They were pierced to the heart 
and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? We talked last week about how we become healthy church members. It's by listening expositionally. Go back and, and listen to that message. In other words, I listen for what the author is trying to tell me out of the Bible. These folks were listening to what Peter had to tell them out of his sermon, and his message was the gospel saves dead sinners, of which you are one of them. And so they said, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And they did. And we find out then in verse 42 that as they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread into prayer, the, five func- the four functions of church explained right there. They were beginning to know Jesus better and love him more. That was the main thought out of last week. If you didn't get that, know Jesus better and love him more is the job of every healthy Christian through listening to the sermons a certain way, expositionally, to get God's meaning out of them and to become a biblical theologian to understand who your God is. And then see in verse 47, they were doing all this, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Revival was breaking out. And we say, we want that today. Salvation was the result of the gospel. Revival was breaking out as a result of the gospel. And now, as great as that is, and as much as we want that to happen today, I'm going to have you stretch just a little bit of your understanding of the gospel. Here's the big picture thought for the, to today. The gospel is not a one-time event. Even as great as we see it here in Acts chapter 2, the gospel is not a one-time event in a person's life. We need to hear and apply the gospel as a daily need. C.J. Mahaney, theologian, said this, The gospel isn't one class among many that you will attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in. So our next mark of a healthy church member, after being an expositional listener, after being a biblical theologian is that we must become, here's a new term for you, gospel-saturated. I love that story that that Rush told. I didn't know he was going to tell that story about his dad rushing out into the rain and just getting absorbed and and just, you know, saturated with the rain. That's how we should be with the gospel. What is the definition of being saturated? Full of moisture. Made thoroughly wet. Wet. How do you know something is saturated? When you ring it out, what does it do? Yeah, water comes out. Someone rings us out. Because life is going to ring you out. When life rings you out, what comes out of you? Is it worry? Is it anxiety? Is it I've got to get a handle on this? Is it I need to do something? Or is it the gospel that comes out of you? Let me ask you a couple questions. And feel free to answer, by the way. What is the greatest need in the world today? What do you think? Greatest need in the world today? Yeah, that's the answer to everything, isn't it? <laughs> Never go wrong by saying Jesus in church. Yes, the gospel. I was thinking some of you might say, well, hunger or you know, health care or something. No, the greatest need in the world today is for people to understand who Jesus is and accept 
his sacrifice because people are perishing without the good news of God's grace and forgiveness and love that are found in Jesus Christ. People are perishing and on their way to hell because of that. We get that. Same question, different context. Gospel's the greatest need for the world today. What's the greatest need in the church today? What's the greatest need in the church today? What do you think it is? Jesus, yeah, okay. Boy, I set myself up for that one, didn't I? The gospel. If you don't think the gospel is the greatest need in the church today, I challenge you to listen to what I'm going to talk about today and maybe change your mind about it. Because you know what? Apart from the gospel, the church really has nothing to say. That is nothing that cannot be said by some other human agency in the world today. No matter what we do, as the Church of Jesus Christ, to ease suffering or to build homes for people or to even help in orphanages or whatever the good causes that we can get involved in as part of the church today. It's the gospel that distinguishes our message from the rest of the world. You realize that, right? It's the gospel that makes us different when we hand out water bottles to people who don't have water. It's the gospel that makes us different when we hand out shoes to orphans who don't have any shoes to wear. It's the gospel that makes us different. The gospel is so essential to the Christian life that we need to be saturated in it in order to be healthy church members. You know, Paul went to Rome. He tried to go to Rome several times to preach the gospel. Apparently, to unbelievers is what we first think. Paul wants to go and hold revival meetings out in the tents and the synagogues, right? And he writes this. I think I have it here for us to read together. He writes in the first chapter of Romans, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you and been prevented so far. Uh, He says, so for my part, in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, think about this. He's talking to believers who are probably in church. They're reading the letter from Paul called Romans, and he says, I am eager to come and preach the gospel to y'all. Because we know that he was probably from, you know, Texas or something, right? So he said, y'all. He's a southerner. That's right. Southern Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting that he says, I want to come to Rome to preach the gospel to you believers. Whoa, step back a minute. What's he want? To, I'm already saved. I know Jesus is. I already follow Jesus. I've already made that profession. I've been baptized out in the river. I know what that... Paul says, no, I need to preach the gospel to you because he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first and then the Greek. You know, the Bible describes the gospel as the power of God. Nothing else in all of scripture is described that way except for the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when we normally think of the power of God, what do we think of? natural, you know, disasters. Your insurance company has that pretty well defined, right? An act of God. Volcanoes, hurricanes, tornadoes, sunspots leaping off the sun thousands of miles long. We go, whoa, there's the power of God. Lightning. You know, those pictures of lightning in slow motion, just incredible. 1.21 gigawatts or something, right? Yet in Scripture, those things, those wonders are never labeled the power of God. 
The gospel and Jesus are labeled the power of God. How powerful then must the gospel be if it would be given such a title in Scripture? Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, again, saved people, church people, church folk. He says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to tell you some more about the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you also stand, because you believed it, by which you are also saved. And then Paul goes on to restate the historical facts about the gospel, about Jesus. And he's telling them to apply those facts to their lives now. In fact, most of the problems that he uncovers in 1 Corinthians... He uses the gospel to fix. In other words, Paul is showing the Corinthians, and he's showing us today, that the gospel works all the time to redeem and restore all the parts of our lives that that are still in, in, in a mess, that still maybe respond to the flesh and to the world, and still haven't come under God's authority yet. How then do we become fully moisturized? How are we made thoroughly wet? How do we become saturized, saturated in the gospel, leading us to greater spiritual health? So some things this morning to, to take note of that I think will help us to get you know, uh, in the Baptist vernacular. We like to say, you know, when we get baptized, you get all wet, right? Not just a little bit wet. You get all wet. Well, we need to get all wet this morning in the gospel. We need to get fully saturated fully moisturized in the gospel and learn what we need to do so that when those times come, when the world starts to wring us out a little bit, we don't bleed out anxiety or worry. We bleed out the gospel. So, three things. First, living life as a gospel-saturated church member. What can you do? First, be fluent in the gospel. What does that mean? You know... um, we were going to go to Acapulco, Mexico tonight. And you all know that we had to cancel or postpone that trip because of some, some personnel accident. Damon had an accident with his wrist. Somebody had been praying for that surgery. And him and Linda, I'm gonna, are they here this morning? Are you guys here? No? Um, and so we had to postpone our trip until February. But I was practicing a little bit of my Spanish. Gina and Alejandro are helping me. Thanks, guys. Keep working. Don't give up on me yet. But I am not fluent in Spanish. You know, I know enough to just basically get around and find my way around and, you know. And here's the thing that I think we need to understand. A person who is fluent in another language is able to think it with, or speak it without thinking. Be able to speak it without processing. Be able to speak it without kind of translating in my mind what am I. That's a fluent person in another language. We need to be fluent in the gospel the same way. We need to know the gospel because it's the foundational doctrine for salvation. You know, too many Christians, we saw that uh, Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian video. We might be seeing more of him in the coming weeks. Too many Christians possess a shallow understanding of the gospel, probably as a result of just too many sermons with just a little bit of gospel tacked onto the end of it somewhere. Let me ask you this morning, you don't have to answer this, but ask yourself this question. Do you feel capable of clearly sharing the good news with your family and friends? If you had to right now talk about someone 
with the gospel, would you be able to clearly and effectively share that message with them this morning? If there's a little bit of hesitation or a little bit of awkwardness in that thought, then listen up, because this message is for you. We have to take some steps so that we can present the gospel in a clear, concise, and compelling way. That's consultant talk, by the way. Clear, concise, compelling. The message is clear. The message is concise. And by golly, the message is compelling. So, what the gospel, let's talk about what the gospel is not, first of all, in our review this morning. What the gospel is not. It is not simply that we're just really okay, maybe a little bit sick out there, we need a little guidance, that God is love and that Jesus wants to be our friends. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not that we should just live our lives like Jesus, that we need to clean up our act, and Jesus is this great moral teacher, and we need to follow his ways and his commands, and that's not the gospel. Nor is the gospel that Jesus will fix all of our problems if we follow him. Because I'm here to tell you, he, he'll fix some of them. He'll fix the most important problem you have, and that's your not being in a relationship with God. He'll fix that problem. But he may not fix the other problems in our life. And God's plan for Christians is not that they're going to be healthy and prosperous and wise. That is not the gospel. Now, all those are true in some sense. There's always a little bit of that that happens in in our Christian walk. But that's not the primary focus of the gospel. What the gospel is, is it's good news. That's how you translate it out of the Greek, right? Good news. Now, you journalists out there, what is news usually based on? Facts. News is generally, depending on where you get it today, based on facts. Indisputable facts. Facts about the gospel are based upon the promises of God and how he has met and completed those promises. Here's the deal. It starts with the fact that God the Father, holy and righteous in all his ways, is angry with sinners and will punish sin. Fact. Well, we can't hardly get past that one sometimes, can we? Mankind disobeys the rule of God and is alienated from the love of God and is therefore in danger of an eternal and agonizing condemnation at the hands of God. Fact. So far, there's not much good news, is there? But God. There we go. Now we're going to crank it up a little bit. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for dead people, sent his eternal son, born by the Virgin Mary, to die as a ransom and as a substitute for the sins of rebellious people. Fact, fact, fact. And now, because of the perfect obedience of Jesus the Son, his willingness to die on the cross as a payment for our sins, all who repent and believe in him as Savior and Lord, will be saved from the wrath of God to come. Fact. And all those who believe will be declared right in the eyes of God. They'll have eternal life and receive the Spirit of God as a down payment for that life and will be adopted into God's family, the church. Fact. That's the gospel. Clear. Concise. Totally compelling. That's the message we must become saturated in in every aspect of our life and our thinking. We must become fluent in the gospel. Number two, 
We need to be transformed. You know, sometimes I think, and I, I'm going to say this first for me, I need to preach the gospel to myself before I preach it to you. You know, the Bible says that the gospel is foolish according to my natural wisdom. It's foolishness. The Bible says the gospel is scandalous according to my conscience because I can do nothing to earn it or buy it. The Bible says the gospel is incredible to me because of my fearful heart. Because of that, it's a daily battle in my mind and in your mind to believe the gospel as I should. You all realize that, right? Daily battle to believe the gospel that we have professed. Every single day, the world is battling our belief system. Because we have to compete with our conscience. We have to compete with a heart that so easily condemns us. We have to compete with the lies of the world. We have to compete with the devil. And we need to rehearse the gospel daily and commit to it daily and commit to the truth of what God has done for us in Christ every single day. So how do I do that? Well, you're doing it this morning. But let me ask, uh, add a little twist to it. Whenever you hear a message, whether that be your Sunday school teacher, your community group leader, your pastor, wherever you are, listen for the gospel. Listen for it. Wait for it. And if it's not there, somehow, some way, find out how. Find out why. Be an expositional listener, as we, as we talked about previously. Listen fresh. Reaffirm the truths of the gospel. Be in awe of God. Be in awe of him. And sometimes when we're listening to the gospel, we need to appropriate the sin in our life that God's revealing to us. It may be that God's revealing something to you right now as you sit. Respond to that right now as you sit. See your sins nailed to the cross of Christ. And then there's this. Not only we need to listen better, but we need to learn how every need in life can be addressed by the gospel. Do you believe that this morning? Every need that you have can be addressed by the gospel? It can. How does Christ dying for me, how does Christ giving his righteousness to me to stand before God, how does Christ giving new life in me and adopting me into the family of God change whatever situation is in your life? How does that happen? Because it can. Something I want to share with you this morning, real briefly. Because I want the gospel to work its way into our thinking about God and work its way into our circumstances in our life. There's something I've preached on here before. It's called the four G's of God. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Four gospel truths about God that is so awesome. If you just start to let those work its way into your thinking every time something happens in your life, think about the gospel and how it plays into the situation, and you're going to become saturated and fluent in the gospel. You've got to remember some things about who God is because of the gospel. God is great. And you know what? Because he's so great, we don't have to be in control. A lot of you are going, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> but I want to be in control. Here's the problem when we're in control. When we try to be in control, we tend to either manipulate or dominate other people. Did you know that? That's what happens. We fear things being out of control, and so we worry or we overwork ourselves. God is sovereign. God is in control. And everything that happens to us in this life, Romans 8.38, he promises that will be for our good and his glory. Do you trust him? Because he is great. 
Not only that, but he is glorious. Glorious meaning is a term like the weightiest thing in the room. All eyes are on God and his glory when he enters the room. Is the picture that we're trying to get here. And because God is glorious, we don't have to fear other people or other situations. And not only that, but we need to crave the approval of God more than we crave the approval of other people. Or fear the rejection of them by following God. We should have a desire to please God more than a desire to please the world. That's what we call the fear of God, by the way. It's the way we work out the fear of God. We want to please him more than I want to please this thing or this situation over here. Because God is so glorious. Reverential awe of who God is. God is good. You don't have to look elsewhere for what is true and joyful in life. And we need to learn to trust God and that what he offers is better than sin. When you have that moment, when you get left or right, sin's this way, God's this way. You have to make a decision and you have to learn that no matter how pleasurable sin looks, it's not as good as what God offers. God is great. He is glorious. He is good. And he is gracious. And you don't have to prove yourself to him any longer. Our identity is in Christ. It's wrapped up in who Jesus is. We are tied to him forever. We are justified through him. Jesus has done it all and we have nothing left to prove. God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. Let those gospel truths simmer down into who you are. And every time something happens in your life, say, how can I apply one of these truths to my life so that I can be fluent and transformed in the gospel and become saturated in it? And finally, last thing. Be intentional. You know, as healthy church members... And you notice I have not yet said a word about First Baptist or, you know, Second Baptist or Third New Hope, Greater Missionary. I've not mentioned any churches at all, have I? We're talking about the universal uh, church of Jesus Christ that you enter into by becoming alive again after being dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, we're going to get to those other things in the coming weeks. So I want you to understand, be fluent. Be transformed. And the last thing to be gospel-saturated is to be intentional. Our aim is to understand the gospel so deeply and so intimately that it's intertwined into every aspect of our life. We want the gospel to be at the heart of how we communicate with others. It needs to be at the heart of how we encourage others. It needs to be at the heart of how we make decisions about careers and relationships. And It needs to be at the heart of our decision for worshiping and discipleship. The gospel needs to be at the heart of all of our habits and all of our comings and all of our goings. And we want the gospel and Jesus Christ to take priority over every aspect of our life. And so what we need to do is start living intentionally for Jesus. What does that mean? Because so many times now we think church life is additive. I'm going to do all these things all week long, and then at some point I've got to put those things down and got to go do some church stuff i got to stop this over here and go do some things over there. And so I have to change gears and change my mind and start thinking gospel. Well, I'm here to say we need to change our paradigm a little bit. Not additional, intentional. In other words, let me give you some examples. Intentionally going to the same stores and restaurants with the idea of building a relationship to eventually have a gospel conversation. 
How about that? How about using a vacation day or a few days to go on a short-term mission trip down to Mexico with us? How about volunteering in a community organization so that you can maybe influence it for the gospel? How about intentionally having discussions in your home about religion and philosophy in order to make an attempt to share the gospel? How about intentionally inviting people over for dinner or holiday parties and introduce them to Christ? Hosting Bible studies in the workplace. Whoa. Ever thought about that? Taking your lunch hour and saying, hey, does a few of you guys want to read through the Bible with me at lunch today? Being intentional about what we do. Joining neighborhood clubs to build relationships and further gospel opportunities. That's what Christian Surface is about, by, about all the, by the way. Christian Surface is an organization that we're kind of getting involved with here. We're supporting as this church. and it's, it's not to go preach the gospel on the beach. It's to make relationships with people in the water so that at some point you can share Christ with them. And you can do that with any club, soccer club, golf club, tennis club. And maybe the biggest intentional thing of all is to invite friends and neighbors and people you know to some church function, some gathering that we have, whether it be a dinner, service on Sunday, your community group, whatever it is, some special events so that somewhere they're going to hear the gospel proclaimed. Because a lot of you are fearful of going out on the streets and, and handing out fish surveys and tracts to people. I know that. I get that. But you know what? You've got to know the gospel enough to talk about it, and you've got to build some relationships with people, and then just invite them. It's so easy. Invite them to your house. Invite them to your community group. Invite them to church on Sunday. So here's the challenge. We're going to close with this this morning. Here's the challenge to live this out. This is actually in the, in the live section of your, of your insert in your bulletin. So you can follow along. I want to challenge you. This is not the last time you're going to hear this. We're going to, I think, build a lot of next year's vision activities in this church around this challenge. Number one, know the gospel. We're going to do everything we can to make sure y'all know the gospel better and better, whether it's through Fitz teaching the adult Sunday school, the community groups, and the leaders, and what we're doing there, certainly on Sunday morning here, women's Bible study, men's Bible study. Be fluent. Remember, the first two marks of a healthy church member is listen expositionally and become a biblical theologian, and now we're talking about knowing the gospel. It kind of falls right into that whole thing, doesn't it? Practice the gospel. Practice it. Look for it. In sermons, look for it in life situations. Remind yourself daily of the gospel and how Christ restores and redeems everything in your life. Remember the four G's of God. That's pretty good. God is great. You don't have to be in control. God is glorious. You don't have to fear others. God is good. You don't have to look elsewhere. God is gracious. We can trust God through the gospel with every aspect of our life. So, number one is know the gospel. Number two, Build or make relationships. Be intentional. Be bold. Walk in faith that God created you for a purpose. He created you for good works, which he's already established ahead of time. Walk in them. Be intentional. Look for opportunities to step out of your comfort zone. I'm challenging you today to live your life with intentionality. Make relationships with the express purpose of sharing the gospel. Period. And then number three, invite. Invite, 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 invite. Have an inviting mindset. Too many of us have fallen into the trap that Christians can just share their testimony, and that's good enough. 
it's good, it's not good enough. Too many of us have fallen into a trap that just living a good Christian life and letting people see how I live is an effective witness doing evangelism. And no doubt, such a life is a witness of sorts. But what I'm suggesting is a little bit radical here. And with urgency and love, we've got to remember that non-Christians among us must repent and believe in Jesus or they're going to suffer condemnation for eternity. We must tell them to repent and believe on Jesus. Invite them to a place where they're going to hear that. Share the gospel that you know so fluently or invite someone to your community group. Invite them to the Sunday gathering here. Just start inviting people here with the purpose of hearing the gospel. Because you all know by now, if someone comes in here on Sunday morning, they are going to hear the gospel. Not how to do life better, how to have a relationship with God, and that makes your life better. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, God offers himself for sinners to sinners, and is the gospel that makes us aware of the love of God and of our own depravity and our need for redemption. It is the gospel that proclaims the goodness and mercy and justice and righteousness of God. It is the gospel that gives us a possibility of eternal joy to worshiping God. And it's the same gospel and a healthy understanding of it that creates health and strength in church members. That's you and that's me. And my message this morning is be saturated in it. Would you pray with me? Father, we're just so thankful for this gospel message. And we just pray right now that you would move on people's hearts. As we prepare for communion, we know that it's a celebration of the gospel that our communion is a a celebration of Jesus' death, his perfect life, lived in obedience to you. And his death lived to pay our sacrifice, to pay our penalty, to pay our way out of hell and eternal condemnation. And we celebrate him doing that for us. And we celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate the new life that we know we have in him because if he was resurrected, so will we. And we celebrate that he's coming again and how we wish that time would be soon, Lord, but we know there's much work to be done. Help us to know your gospel better and love Jesus more. Help us to live life with intentionality and make relationships and, and invite people to a place where they will hear the good news. Convict us now this morning, Lord, as we prepare for communion. We give up whatever is standing in our way of doing that. We ask that you would burden our hearts in such a way that we would give it all up for you. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for this celebration. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the night before Jesus was crucified, he took the bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, every time you drink of this, remember, it's my blood shed for the sins of many. And so we do this in remembrance of him. And as we have this time of communion, this solemn time, you can come forward 
come down the middle and come down around the sides. Special time for you to communion with each other before God. So I ask that the band plays a little bit here. As you feel led, you stand up and come forward and have communion with our God. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I can't. Give an answer, but this 